Good morning, church. All right, so today we are going to go over 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. If you like to follow along in your scriptures, then uh, take a minute to get there or uh, follow along on the screen. That will be an option as well. So um, let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, Father God, we love you. We love your word, and we love that we are citizens of heaven. God, that you've made us for someplace better than this, someplace perfect. And God, we're here to proclaim your glory and to learn about who you say we are and what we should do. Uh, Lord, help us to focus on that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to talk about how to treat each other. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 through 16, which says, Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. And talk to younger men... As you would to your own brothers. Treat the older women as you would your mother, and treat the younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Now, a true widow. A woman who is truly alone in this world has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? The younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. Then they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. And if they are on the list, they will learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business and talking about the things they shouldn't. So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them, for I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church, and then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. Now that's quite a bit of scripture. But it all has to do with one common topic, how we should treat each other. Now last week at the youth center, one of the kids asked me a simple question that made me think about this week's text. The kid asked if I had any brothers 
Well, my first response was just, uh, yeah, sure. <clears throat> but technically, I don't have any brothers in the kid the way that the kid was meaning. Uh, I don't have any siblings that are boys. I have one sister. Now, there may have been a brotherly void in my life when I was a kid. I wanted to have another a brother to fight with or to shoot BB guns with. But I sh assure you that since I have been a part of this church, there has been no brotherly void in my life. Actually, the thought of not having a brother hasn't even entered my mind because so many of you fill that role so well. I'm convinced that that's how it's supposed to be. Many times, the scripture tells us uh, about the family of faith. Scripture uses the terms brother and sister to refer to our fellow believers. In the Old Testament, the spiritual family unit was the Jewish folk because they believed in one true God, the one true God. And when Jesus came, our family dynamics changed uh, because now anyone who puts their faith in God's Son, Jesus the Christ, is part of his family. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 puts it this way, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 12, also a verse that we should keep in mind concerning this. But to all who, to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So, heritage doesn't matter. Bloodline doesn't matter. Your past track record doesn't matter. Ephesians 2, verse 8, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. And by the way, if we're thinking of each other as brothers and sisters, we must keep this verse in mind that God does not show favoritism. There is no favorite sibling or child of God. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are part of the family. And uh, putting your faith in Jesus it means that you believe that every word he says is true and is good. And so there's this family mindset that the Lord wants us to take part in. Paul te teaches right on top of the foundation that Jesus laid. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he gives us some specific points for how we should treat each other. He starts out by telling us how we should treat the older men. And uh, it shouldn't surprise us that uh, he says we should treat them like our own fathers. Here's the, the family dynamic here, the family of faith. Uh, don't speak harshly 
to the older men, um, appeal to them, uh, come to them respectfully. If they are out of line, then um, we respect them and appeal to them as we show love to them, like we would our fathers. Uh, younger men, treat them as your brothers. And older women, as your mothers. Boy, think of the love that you have for your mother. And well, I don't know about your relationship with your mother, but there are, are certain ways that I treat my mother, and I, I would never say certain things to her out of potentially fear from her or my father would smack me. But it's just out of respect. And younger women, we treat them like our sisters, with purity. We honor them as children of God, our sisters. And so concerning our family of faith, let's respect and learn from our elders. Let's encourage uh, our brothers and sisters and love them with purity. And let's hold each other accountable like you would your very own sibling. Now, the scripture also talks about widows uh, in the, this first church. This is a very real situation that uh, needed to be cared for. First off, <coughs> if any of us have uh, parents or any other family member that needs taken care of, we need to step up and take care of our immediate family. Moms, dads, siblings, sons, daughters, our immediate family, we need to take care of them. Now, not everyone has a family to take care of them. In this case, the scripture confirms that this is where the church needs to step up and lead. The Bible, uh, when the Old Testament scripture and the New Testament, when people needed care for, cared for, the people of God took care of them. Now, there's a story about Elijah and uh, a widow, and you can read this story in 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elijah was uh, doing God's work, and he came to this town. There was a famine in the land. The land wasn't producing any food, and it was, it was hard times, and Elijah had been taken care of by God already. Now, the, the crows, the ravens had brought... Elijah food as he was doing God's work. <clears throat> he came to a town, and when he got there, the, the, the first lady that he seen, he went to her and asked her for something to eat. Now, that particular lady was a widow, and she had food, enough for one meal for her and her son. And after that food was gone, she knew that that was the end of her and her son. There was no other food to get. She didn't have the means to get it. She was going to die, and her son as well. And here Elijah is uh, asking her for food. And she says, I swear, I'm being honest, I don't have any more than this right here. Elijah is working for God, yeah? So, uh, this connection that he has for God, he knows that God has taken care of him by the silly act of just having ravens come and bring food to him. He knows that God will take care of his people. 
He says, hey, ma'am, if you uh, give me some of the last food that you have, I promise that your basket of bread, that little bit of bread, it will never be empty until this drought is over. And that jar of oil that you're going to use to mix together with it, that will continue to be full until there's more oil in the lands to be had. And the widow, she, she fixes some up and gives it to him. And, and it was true. God does, in fact, take care of his people. And um, her basket was full. And uh, for several days, her and her son ate and her son became ill. Elijah committed to her. He was still around. And uh, he begins to, uh, well, go to care for her son, but her son had already died. And God tells him exactly what to do. And he does a process of actions. And then God raised her son back to life. Now, what a story that is. For us to read and understand how God takes care of the people, especially the people who are down to their last bit of sustenance. He takes care of us. Another good example of God's people taking care of their family and faith comes from Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 43. Now, let me read this story to you. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas, we should probably use her uh, Hebrew name, to Tabitha. She was always doing kind things for others, helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. The first part of this story, well, we have a lady with a weird name, and she died. You've got to read the rest of the story to understand why this lady is so important. It's not over for her yet. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them as soon as he arrived. They took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes that Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. And then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread throughout the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. Here is a living Example and a dying and then living again example of taking care of folks who need care. Tabitha, man, I mean, here's this woman that uh, when she died, there was such a void in the community that all the, the, the widows, the, the folks who were needy, came and said, You know, look at everything that she did for us. Look at all the things. Look at this beautiful piece of, 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 of quilt, of whatever she was making for them. She did this for us. Man, I think about when, when my life is over. 
people probably aren't going to show up with quilts that I made for them. But I hope, I hope they show up saying, man, the brother helped me out in this situation. I think that's all of our wishes. We want our lives to be uh, so powerful that we affected others' lives, that we gave them something that they needed in their time of need. What an excellent example for us. She cared for folks when they needed care. And hey, this doesn't stop at our family of faith. As you can see, this story, it reaches out to non-believers as well. Many of them see what happens when something like this happens, and they want to be part of it. The news will spread. In 165 A.D., a plague known as the Antonin Plague spread from the Huns to the Germans and then throughout the Roman Empire, killing one-third of the population. Now, a little less than a century later, in 250 A.D., the Cyprian Plague hit Rome, and it was believed that at its peak, almost 5,000 people a day were dying from the disease. During these times, the church was faced with a decision, the same decision that we as Christians face every day. How do we love God, and how do we love our neighbor? During the Antonin Plague, Christians stepped in to serve those in need. They risked their lives to help others. When the Cyprian Plague hit Rome, most of the population ran away from the people who had the disease, People left town to save themselves. They didn't, they didn't react uh, in, in, in a boldness. They reacted in fear. They left neighbors and family behind. But the Christians, they stood up in faith. They didn't react in fear or despondency. They would stay and tend to the sick and the dying knowing full well that it would likely result in their own deaths. They showed works of unreasonable sacrificial mercy that simply dumbfounded the pagans. In Rome, the Christians buried not just their own, but the pagans who had died without funds or proper for proper burial. They also supplied food for thousands of people on a daily basis. Fast forward to the 1300s, when the plague in Alexandria hit, nearly everyone in the city fled to escape the disease. But not the Christians. They risked their lives for others by simple deeds, washing the sick, giving water to, and food to them, and consoling the suffering. At the risk of their own lives, they saved a great number of others' lives. Their even basic amounts of nursing and care greatly reduced the chance of death. Simple provisions of food and water allowed the sick that were temporarily too weak to cope for themselves and to recover instead of dying miserably. So, except for one group, everyone was running from the plague. And instead of running from the plague, the Christians ran to it. That's what a hero does. He saves people no matter what it costs. 
Now we have a lot of make-believe heroes, but let me tell you, Superman didn't put a wet washcloth on my head, my forehead, when I was a sick kid. He didn't clean up all the messes that I made when I ralphed all over the floor as a children, as a child. That was my mom and my dad. They are heroes. You gotta take care of your family, no matter what. And don't depend on others to do it. Well, in the late late nineteen thirties. Somewhere around that time, the government here in America uh, attempted to take care of folks in need. And I I say attempted because, well, they don't do a a very good job at it anymore. I think it worked well at first. But the government-controlled welfare has its problems. It's good for some folk. But there's also people getting help that, well, maybe they don't need help. People taking advantage wherever they can. Our scripture talks about how to determine in this message a true widow, a true person that needs help from one who is taking advantage of the system. And Paul gives us guidelines concerning this situation. And most importantly, he indicates that the church needs to grow a relationship with the people that they help. To have that relationship with them. That's hard for the government to do. Probably impossible. So, why did the government take over care of folks that the church should have been been caring for? Probably partially because the church didn't step up, so there was that need. And partially separation of church and government. The government assumed control of delegating more funds and what feels are on governmental responsibilities. The fact is that originally, all of that was up to the family and the church. Now we know that where there is a void, it will be filled. This is why we cannot allow ourselves, ourselves to be empty inside. We must keep ourselves full of faith, of hope, and of love. And all of these things are Jesus. You need to have Jesus inside of you. And if you have enough Jesus inside of you, no evil can get in. Um, This comes from uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And you, you know that you need to keep yourself so full of the light of Jesus that no darkness can get in. John chapter 1 verse 5 tells us that the darkness cannot extinguish the light. Light will overpower the darkness. Keep yourselves full of Christ. Don't allow a void. So, maybe there's a void in your family or a church body. Maybe someone else is taking control of your family. I, I mean, taking, uh, hijacking everything good that you want for them. I say someone else instead of something else because things that might control your family or might control your life, things are just tools. And this may not be a good example, but like Twitter and Snapchat. I 
I say that not from experience, because I, I really probably, before I speak illy of them, should, should know about them. I don't know anything about them. I don't have them. But I, I hear a lot of people say these uh, social media devices can run your life if you allow them to. But, you know, those kind of things are just tools. Even people who are trying to take over your family are just tools used by the devil. And you need to stand up against it. Now, the first step is read the second half of Ephesians chapter 6. Here's what you'll find there. Ephesians chapter 6, the second part of it tells us first that the enemy is not flesh and blood. It's Satan. And you must resist him. You must stand firm against him. It tells us that we need to cling to the truth, which is God's word. And while you are standing against evil, know that you can be at peace while you are doing it. Because that peace comes from the gospel message. It says you are saved when you accepted Jesus. And keep that faith, that faith at the center of everything you do. So if you don't like what your child is being taught at school, do something about it. If you don't like that someone or something else um, gets more of your spouse's attention, then do something about it. Now, I don't know what that looks like for your situation. I don't know. But I know that it's your, your responsibility to do something about it. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. This verse that's... Uh, Right in the middle of our text, I guess I don't have it from the screen, says, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Ouch. Man, that's harsh. And it's scripture, so I guess it's true. I don't guess it's true. I know it's true. I went to a men's retreat a few weeks ago, and the speaker introduced the three legs of leadership. And these uh, three legs of leadership come from uh, a fellow named John Michael Clark, and he has the Family Captain podcast. And so... I encourage you to look him up if, if you want to learn more about these three legs of leadership. So they are compassion, responsibility, and authority. We see these three legs of leadership in Scripture, especially with everything that Jesus does. Here we go. Um, so, compassion, responsibility, and authority. Here's, here's what Jesus did. He cared for people when they needed gentle care. He showed compassion everywhere it was needed. When Jesus healed on the Sabbath, he took responsibility and he owned up to his actions. When he cast out demons, he took responsibility. He didn't apologize for the pigs that jumped in the water that he cast the demons into. He took responsibility. 
Now, Jesus was uh, perfect, by the way. We are not. So apologizing is going to be part of us taking responsibility. We're going to have to apologize sometimes, and sometimes maybe a lot. And Jesus used his authority. He didn't play the devil's game. He didn't ask the devil for permission to do things, even though the devil is the prince of this world. He says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, I have been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Jesus used his authority. Compassion, responsibility, and authority. Now we know if a stool has three legs, then it won't work without one leg. Take one away, it falls over. You take two away, it falls over. It needs to be all three of these. Compassion, responsibility, and authority. Now recently, here's a life in my a situation in my life where uh, I had not used these three legs of leadership well. Something bad happened had to happen to me so that or in that situation for me to wake up. Many of you know that uh, I have two dogs. One dog uh, is a, a rough and tough farm dog. Well, he's not mean or anything. But and the other dog is a little bitty white fluffy dog. He doesn't belong on my farm. He's got long fur and you know, inherited him from my wife's parents. And when I offered to help them in any way... Um, I left it open for the dog, too. And they asked, can you take the dog? And I said, yes, we will take the dog. Well, the whole time, the past couple years that we've had this dog, it's been this white little fluffy thing that I don't want to have anything to do with. It didn't chase away the coyotes. It didn't bark uh, at, you know, the cars when they come up. Actually, it barks a lot, but... It didn't seem to have a lot of value, so I, eh, the kids can take care of it, but I'm not going to go out of my way to do I'm not going to buy his special food, or, uh, you know, him and I did not have a good relationship, to say the least. I did not pay to have his fur cut, um, and it's, he doesn't shed it because he's hypoallergenic, if a dog can be hypoallergenic. And so I didn't give him the kind of care, and he got shaggy. And if you come to the Lexi's wedding, I'm ashamed to say there was this little shaggy brown dog. Remember, he's supposed to be white. And he just mangy-looking poor little dog who had lived in his house, most, in, a, in a house most of his life until he come to our place. Well, last week, when we turned him out, in the morning, he came back to the front door about an hour later. and Well, one of his eyes wasn't where it was supposed to be. And I'm getting emotional over this little silly dog. <laughs> and I've complained about it to you guys. Every Men on Fire where we have a competition, he's like the first place prize. Who will take my, you have to take my dog. And so I had a decision to make. What am I going to do with this little dog? His name is Buddy. I remember these 
three legs of responsibility. Although this isn't the grand taking care of family, um, being the body of Christ kind of illustration that uh, maybe I should have, but I had to apply these things. Compassion, responsibility, and authority. I took responsibility for this little animal that God entrusted me with in a roundabout way. And I need to take uh, responsibility for it, show some compassion, and uh, use my authority. And so I scooped a little dog up and I took him to the vet. Now he's a one-eyed dog. Even more annoying than when he first started. <coughs> you know, we, I even cut his fur and uh, brushed him out, and I cleaned him up when he had an accident in his little kennel because uh, he's got to stay inside now because something else might bite him, whatever it did the first time. And so here's this little buddy dog. I, I, I had uh, neglected him for so long, and it woke me up. How many things in our life do we neglect? Because, well, we don't want to have much to do with it. Oh, my kid's got a bad attitude, but I just hold it out of the distance. Maybe the wife will take care of it, or the husband, their dad will take care of it. And we don't take responsibility. We don't take, we don't use compassion, our authority. And hey, now, I couldn't preach this sermon without bringing up the parable of the Good Samaritan. What an example for us. Not only did he have compassion on the guy who was alongside the road that had been beaten and robbed and left there to die, the Good Samaritan came along, he had compassion on him, but he took responsibility for him. He threw him over his shoulder, or no, he put him on his own donkey and rode him to the nearest town, took responsibility. He could have been uh, attacked and robbed and beaten himself. He said, no, I'm going to take responsibility of this situation. He uses authority. Uh, he had the means to pay for this fellow. I'm going to uh, pay for him to be cared for even when I leave. And if it costs more to take care of this fella, then I'll come back and pay what's left over. Took responsibility, he had compassion, and used authority. And so Paul insists that Timothy teach this to the church. Teach this. Take responsibility for your family. God calls us to take care of our family. He takes care of us. We take care of what He's entrusted to us. It starts in our households. Men, take care of your wives and your children. And concerning verse 8 that we just read, Tony Evans puts it this way, a man who will not take care of his wife and his children lies about what God is like. God has an ultimate compassion, responsibility, and authority, and we are made in God's image. Hey, look like God. Look like He made you. Don't let who you are lie about what God is. Now let's swing back to the first part of this message. Your family extends through the faith that you share with your Christian brothers and sisters. 
Treat them with respect and purity. Take care of them. If the body of Christ, the church, is showing compassion, is taking responsibility, and is using Jesus' authority, then this place that we live in would look more like heaven. Take care of the family of faith. You've got to get them out of harm's way sometimes. If your uh, brother or your sister, <clears throat> if anyone for that matter, were standing in the middle of the road, and a car was uh, speeding straight for them, and they couldn't see it, or chose to be there in the middle of the road, you're going to get them out of the way. Even if you have to dive and tackle them out of the way, and sure, it's going to hurt, you and them you hit the ground but it will result in saving life. Sometimes we've got to call each other out, and it might hurt, but it may save someone's eternal life. Eternal life. That's, that's what it's all about. That's what you're here for this morning. Eternal life. Remember, a hero saves people no matter what it costs. Jesus had compassion on you. He took responsibility for your sin. He used His authority to destroy the hold that sin had on you so that you could have eternal life. Man, if you've never accepted that, then will you consider trusting Jesus today as your Savior? Let me pray for you. Father God, we are so grateful that you are who you say you are. We're so grateful that Jesus gives us the most excellent example of responsibility, of compassion, and of authority. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be the family of faith that you want us to be to take care of each other, to keep each other out of harm's way. Lord, help us to spread that family outside of our body of faith. That we may show mercy and compassion and love and grace to those non-believers around us so that they would see the light that you are in our lives so they might want that for themselves as well. In your son's name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.